Sujin, welcome to the Korea Deconstructed podcast. We're here to talk about your latest book, North Korean Women in Power, Daughters of the Sun, uh, a fascinating read. I read through it the other day. It was kindly gifted to me by uh, a mutual friend we have, perhaps, Na Seung Yun. Uh, so let's talk about some of these North Korean women. And as well, let's talk about you, Sujin. Your bio, your bio states that you're a South Korean journalist, but also proud of your North Korean heritage. Can you give us some information or some insight what that means to be a South Korean journalist with North Korean heritage, please? Of course, David. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me for this podcast. And um, well, yes, um, I happen to be a South Korean um, and um, well, I happen to have grandparents on both sides who came from North Korea. So that is why I always say, you know, I am uh, I'm a South Korean with North Korean heritage. And um, so that sort of means that my blood is North Korean. Mm. Does that how does that go across in like society? So if you tell somebody you're from North Korean heritage, like I guess during the 1980s or 70s, it might have been a bit different. They might have gone sort of like, ah, Balgengi or something. But how does, how does that go across today? I mean, is it just normal conversation? Is it something you whisper after a couple of glasses of wine or? Well, that's a great question. But um, well, let me start with my childhood memories, because, mm. you know, like uh, when I was like, I guess it was like when I was eight or nine and I was like attending this class and um, one of my teachers back then told me, well, you know, North Koreans are evil people and they have um, horns in their head. And I was like, oh, my God, my grandparents are like both on like they're from North Korea. So will I have that horn in my head when I grow up or something? Mm. And I was like really worried, but there's there was nothing wrong with that a specific teacher. He was just like telling what he was supposed to. Because those were the days, you know, like uh, North Koreans like were evil people and there were the enemies. That was what I was like taught at mm. like uh, at schools. But nowadays things are very much different. And um um actually I think I I I do have still like mixed feelings about my North Korean heritage, but I still like uh, say it with uh with a you know grain of pride. Mm. Uh, and that's it, just not not just me, yeah. It's not just you. I think we see more and more mm -hmm. people that openly say it, whether it's the ex-president, uh, President Moon Jae-in, or, or various yes. other people. I heard Na Seung-yeon even saying it today yes. On, yes. on the radio. So it is quite normal. Yes. And it's good to see that in society, it's become more normalized to talk about North Korean people as who they are, rather than painting this picture of people with horns and stuff, as you say. Um, <laughs> What does it mean to be a journalist who reports on North Korea? So you, you are a journalist, Sujin, and, and you work on North Korea. How does that come across? Do, do people sort of look at you as some person with inside information on what happens in Pyongyang? Do they do they keep their mouth shut and try not to tell you anything? Like, what's the... I ask this because I know that if people like taxi drivers work out I'm a professor or something, all of a sudden their attitude changes. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's it like in Korean society being a journalist who works on North Korea? Well, actually, government officials hate us. <laughs> okay. And taxi drivers, they, uh, they both love and hate us. And our readers, 
complete both love and haters. But actually, well, what is really what I want to talk about for your question, what I want to answer is like uh, my sort of like experiences of the past. Um, because as a journalist, like, uh, well, what really is special for me personally is that I got this like uh, several chances to actually go up to the to North Korea and just like a report from there. Mm. So, as you know, you know, it is like against the South Korean law, like for a South Korean citizen to visit North Korean well, territory, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, it is a quite a kind of a rare opportunity uh, for a South Korean to be able to actually be on North Korean soil. And um, as a journalist, I got several chances, like, uh, and um, I was really lucky to visit Kaesong City like several times and also Mountain Kumgang. I was not that lucky to visit Pyongyang. I, I would love to visit Pyongyang like in the future. So like uh, being there and like what was really great about being there is that I got to talk to those people. Mm-hmm. Really limited like conversations, of course, but still I got to like, you know, drink coffee with them and I got to like you know um, say hello to them in our own language of course they got the usage is a little different by now after all those years of separation but actually we got to talk we use the same Hangul so like speaking to each other like in the same language is a really special experience let's get to those experiences before we do that why do the government officials hate you because we always try to, you know, find fault with them. Yeah, I guess. I guess. And it's, we always criticize them. Yeah. It's the, if if you're not if you're not doing that as a journalist, then it's just public relations. I think George Orwell said, you know, you have to yes. print what people don't want. I find it very interesting. The people that are allowed to Pyongyang or are allowed to Baekdusan are the South Korean elites. So if you're a president mm. or a Tebol, you can go there. But for regular yeah. citizens, it's it, it's much harder. Yeah. Yes. Is, is there something spiritual, emotional as a South Korean? Because, mm-hmm. for example, being being a British citizen, I, I can go to Pyongyang on tours and things. Yes. Right. As, as a South Korean. I am so jealous. <laughs> yeah. um, as a South Korean, is there something spiritual, emotional? How does it feel like to to be speaking Korean with North Koreans and, and sharing coffee with them, Sujin? It was actually, it was almost a real experience mm. because, you know, um, well, uh, being there, because I could have been one of them myself, because, you know, like if my grandparents, like, chose to stay in North Korea uh, during the war, mm. I could have been one of them and um, I could have been just like, uh, you know, wearing their uniforms and um, like, uh, well, just like being in, uh, being, uh, being happy. Uh, well, being North Korean mm. and hating South Koreans and imagining that South Koreans have horns in their heads. <laughs> but um, so it was almost a surreal experience. And um, well, actually, we are um, theoretically, we are one, mm. but actually we are different. We are similar, but different. And then that sort of gives you a sense of like a kind of very strange emotions, but very strong emotions. I get more attached. The more I visit like North Korea, like the, the more I get attached to them. Mm. Seeing those attachments, seeing whether it's the family reunions or things like that. I mean, even as a non-Korean, I, I watch those and it's the, the, the emotions are visceral. They're tangible. You can feel this kind of connection. Um, 
This might be a little bit political, but let me ask you anyway, Sujin, how do South mm -hmm. Korean political developments affect your work as a journalist? For example, under five years of President Moon Jae-in, lots of engagement, lots of peace. There were big sort of uh, banners hanging from City Hall advocating this. And uh, we know the Conservatives take a more hardline approach. So we'll have probably five years of President Yoon Seok-yeol. How do the internal... Did you say probably? <laughs> you never know with South Korean politics, do you? You never know. So, it's yeah, dynamic Korea. Dynamic, sparkling politics. Um, what? How do the domestic politics affect your work? What's that like? Yes, um, that's a very great um, question, David, I have to say. And it's not just domestic politics that affect my work. It's mm -hmm. international politics as well. Because like one of the like, um, if I have to choose like five moments um, in my like a career that really stand out that I will remember forever is um, one of them is actually the time that I covered the first ever um, summit talk between the United States and um, the well and North Korea DPRK mm. and that was in Singapore and um, that was like possible because like uh, the United States had elected a president like Mr. Donald Trump mm. so like that was how the international politics like sort of like affected my work and um, that was also possible because we had a president like Moon Jae-in. Yeah. So actually, like the politics, like, like um, it is really a strong and very important, like, uh, you know, factor in my like uh, everyday work, I have to say. It's, it, it's interesting you say that, Sujin, because for many people in the United States, President Trump was persona non grata. He was just like, not my president. It's very divisive, hated figure. But then I, in, in South Korea, for those that wanted engagement, for those that wanted it, they weren't seeing it through the lens of American politics or culture wars. They were like, for you example, for you, for example, you got to see all of these things and go to these summits. So it's kind of different, isn't it, through that South Korean lens? Yes, actually, well, I am not very sure whether I am a big fan of Mr. Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm um, actually, well, he, it was a really strange combination. But we had these leaders, like a chairman Kim Jong-un in the north mm. and President Moon Jae-in in the south. And across the Pacific, we had like a Mr. Donald Trump. Trump. So it was like a this like strange trio, sort of like a well turned out to be a kind of a I don't know maybe once in a lifetime sort of a you know opportunity for like journalists like me. So um, yeah, it was it really to say the least interesting. Mm. It was. I agree with you. It was that perfect alignment because if you know yeah. the right or the left were on different sides, it wouldn't have worked. I don't think. Um, mm. Let, let's talk about North Korea a little bit, uh, Sujin. So in your book, while reading it, I, I really get the idea that you're talking about royal families. You're talking about yeah. kings and queens and princesses. And that was the norm for the Korean Peninsula. The, the history of the Korean Peninsula was there was a king, the king died, then there was another king. It didn't really concentrate too much on the everyday people, the Ilbanins like us. But is North Korea a monarchy? Should we understand it as a royal family? Or what is North Korea, Sujin? Well, actually, I think North Korea is really um, kind of very unique mm. in the sense of the modern society, even in this like, 21st century. I think um, I get the sense that it, it is a kind of a regime. Well, it is more of a dynasty. Mm. I think it is more of a, like the Kim dynasty. 
So, um, of course, I, I do have like respect for North Korean society. Of course, like, you know, I am not sort of like saying oh, they're wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, it's like their style. Mm-hmm. And we have to acknowledge it. We have to understand it correctly. But um, it is a fact that, you know, it is not democratic society and it is more of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, like there is an heir always, the the heir apparent. And um, so, and it is more of a still like patriarchic kind of society. So I think it is not ready for a queen, but it still like has only the kings. Yeah. And Chairman Kim happens to be the third dear leader. Yeah. Mm. The Korean Peninsula hasn't had many queens in in its very long history. Nah. I would test my history, mm-hmm. but it's Sondok Yowang and Jindok Yowang yeah. and Jinsong yeah. Yowang, I think. In yeah. in all of that, it, North Korea seems very Korean to me. I mean, you say it's not democratic. It's kind of Confucian. <laughs> it's kind of patriarchal. It it kind of seems like a continuation of that Joseon. What's your take on that? But that North Korea. It, rather than seeming weird or strange, which to some people it might do, to me it feels like, you know, just kind of very Korean, but without the modern Western democratic influences swept around mm. it. Yeah, that's a really interesting take, and that sort of like uh, brings me back to one of my trips to North Korea. Um, uh, uh, and that was a time when I was with this government official who happens to be my friend. And um, he told me that um, he still hates me, but um, he told me... <laughs> He told me that, well, you know, this feels like South Korea, like circa 1970s mm. or even 1950s. But he was not born during that time. So he was just like referring to those old times. So I do really completely agree with you in that. Like, uh, you know, North Korea seems to be South Korea. I mean, not South Korea. North Korea seems to be the old Korea mm. as it was, as it used to be. But, you know, it needs a little, like, change or progress or, like, uh, whatever you choose to say. Like, yeah, it needs some change, yeah. It's, one... Especially for women's rights, yeah. We do need to talk about women uh, because that's the focus of your book. J- yeah. Just before we get there, another big focus of your book, um, and I'm jumping through these because we are a bit pressed for mm-hmm. time, but one of them is unification, Sujin. You've written this book in in the hope of unification. And yeah. Is... Is this going to happen in our lifetimes? In five, ten years, are we going to be you and I having uh, Pyongyang Nengmyeon, something like this? Or does your heart and your head tell you different things? Look into your crystal ball for us, Sujin, and, and give us unification, please. I forgot to bring my crystal ball. Um, it's at my home. <laughs> but actually, um, that's another good question. But um, well, we do have this like, survey results, like uh, saying, like telling us that like. Uh, well, especially the younger generations, they do not want the two Koreas to become one. Mm-hmm. They just like um, they just want the things to stay as it is right now because they think, um, well, not all of them, hopefully, but like many of like those people, like uh, younger generations, they think that it costs money mm-hmm. to reunite with North Korea, and that is true. That is a fact. And, but still like, so that is one way to say it, like our head, like our sort of like our head, like uh, tells us that it is not wise like uh, to unite again with North Korea to become just one Korea, mm. but still our hearts, like uh, still like tell us, especially my heart, like uh, I, I strongly think that, you know, we belong to each other 
And um, I really hope um, to visit North Korea, like with my family. Although my grandparents, they all like passed away, like, but um, well, I still like vividly remembered how like they cried whenever they talked about like uh, their like uh, you know childhood memories or like how it was great like uh, back in those days like uh, like playing in the like you know hills like of like a North Korean like village or something. So I think like we still belong to each other and um, well, but it would not be easy. It would not be. It it was never easy, and it will not be easy. And I am not sure whether I will be able to like travel to North Korea. Uh, I mean, to Korea in the northern part of the peninsula. Um, well, like in my lifetime, mm-hmm. but um, I still hope like that the, those days would come. And that's just like what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And uh, I, I hope your dreams come true in that sense as well. And, and, and for the mm-hmm. Korean people, um, <clears throat> a weird random question all of a sudden. Did you watch Saring <laughs> Jack crash landing on you? Well, um, I have to say I watched the first episode. OK, but um, I stopped watching it. <laughs> wow, I'm surprised. Because... I thought you would have watched this all. For any listeners that don't know, this is a story about the the South Korean woman and the North Korean soldier who fall in love. And yes, please. Yeah, well, um, I really like. Um, I really love like uh, the actor and actress, but um, I was like, it was just too obvious. Like, you no, know, those like, uh, you know, they will fall in love and they will against all odds, they will be one. You know, like blah blah blah. And uh, I happen to be like, uh, well. Um, sort of like into another like series back then, so I did not have time. So you had your, yeah, stand, was... you had your bias, yeah. and that was uh, yeah. your drama. Which one was it? Can I ask? I'm curious now. No, um, it, it was my guilty pleasure, and I'm not gonna tell anybody. I'm watching uh, Isangam Pionosa Uyangu at the moment, and oh, thoroughly yeah, that's enjoying really it. Fun, right? Yeah, that's... this so yeah, it's so Chinese, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Uh, and the Dongarami character, lovely. Yes, I love it. Yeah, I love her. So we see women in these characters now, yeah. <laughs> in these dramas. Let, let's talk about the women in some of your books, Ujin, because, you know, on the front we have Kim Yo-jong and she's described as the giggly princess. Oh, yes. <laughs> your book is about women in North Korea, particularly in elite circles, I should say. It's not about the everyday experience, but rather mm. those in close to political power what can you tell us where do you want to start with this about these high-ranking uh north korean elite women well yeah david actually um i really wish i could write about like um, the everyday lives of like uh, jackson jills of north korea but you know i could not do that because you know i wanted to for this book i wanted to like share my own personal experiences the stories that i actually heard myself and i the stories that I actually saw, like, uh, you know, like taking place in my own, like, before my own eyes. Hmm. So um, the reason I focused on these four, like, power ladies is because I could um, get to see them in action on several occasions. Hmm. And um, it was really also very interesting to me because, um, well, you, I think it is a first in North Korean history that like, so many ladies were in power hmm. in public. Because back in those days of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il, like even their wives were like, like uh, it was a taboo for them to be actually be human in public. So like uh, there were no women in sight. 
But actually, like one really significant change in the era of Chairman Kim Jong Un is that like he actually he is never afraid of like employing women, and have this like a like a lady entourage. So I wanted to like bring their stories and you know like uh, share my experiences of like uh, like uh, being able to like you know cover their actions like in Singapore, in Hanoi, or in like Vladivostok. So um, you know that's the reason I wrote the book. Yeah. Does it help being a South Korean woman to look at North Korean women? Does it, does identity help? Mm -hmm. are, you, are you able to do a better job of writing this book about North Korean women because you're a South Korean woman than say I would be able to? Um, I guess yes and no, because um, you know, um, well, as a South Korean woman, I have more attachment, I guess, like uh, because you know, and um, I'm not just a South Korean woman. I and I, I am also blessed with North Korean heritage, so um, I always think that I could have been one of them, but you know, if I were born with a silver spoon in my mouth, <laughs> only well, <laughs> but um, still, I always think uh, sort of like a uh, you know, used to tell myself that you know, if I were born in North Korea, I could have been. Uh, you know, reporter for Rodong Human for the state-run newspaper. Mm. So I always like sort of like think that you know, like women as a as a woman, um, you know, um, I I always like feel really strongly attached to them because you know I could have been one of them. So that sort of like a, gives me a sense of kind of a even the duty to write like you know with earnesty like with with like really like um, you know like with passion mm -hmm. so that sort of like gives me a sense of like duty to be the messenger for them like for the global audience so maybe I, I hope this answered your question it does perfectly and i think that empathy is really important and understanding yes, because we've moved on from the horns descriptions uh, which were just part of a time you know things yeah. change and so you're part of yeah. this new attitude um speaking let's say of Kim Jong-un's sister, uh, Kim Yo-jong specifically, for some people, uh, she's the source of great memes uh, and she's mm. been stan, she's been turned into it like a sex symbol in some parts of the internet, quite weirdly. For other people, she's very mysterious or she's hardliner. The language she uses towards President Moon, ex-president, yes. all over the place, the, the perceptions of her. Who is she? Can you give us any insight? Well, I described her as a giggly princess in my book, but mm -hmm. um, that was actually a quote um, from um, from one of my really like dear sources, um, who I cannot name, and um, he has like uh, met um, Kim Yo Jong several times, mm -hmm. and he told me that like uh, in person Kim Yo Jong is really lighthearted and she knows how to have how to have fun with other people and she smiles a lot, but mm -hmm. actually that would be Kim Yo-jong in her private life. Mm -hmm. But like uh, during daytime, like uh, when she is at work, I think she would be very smart, shrewd, and very determined person. Mm -hmm. And she knows like how to use her power. And she is really like, she is really smart person because like uh, when you get to read like what, what uh, was printed under her name, mm -hmm. I do not quite think that she wrote those words herself but I'm actually she approved that like it would be printed under her name and that is it has its own logic and it uses like very strong phrases mm. i mean north koreans like they have a reputation for using strong like you know like words and you know expressions but still mm. 
even with that premise, like uh, her writing is really something unique. And um, you can feel that she is kind of a, she is really something. Yeah. Mm. She, and she is, she knows how to utilize her power. I, let's go to power. I want to come after that to this idea that sometimes in terms of values or codes or aesthetics, like in North Korea, a non-smiling face might be the beautifully accepted face, if you know what I mean. Yes. We live in a culture yes. where we're meant to smile, but for North Korean, maybe the appropriate thing is the non-smile. And I think that confuses a lot of people, actually. Um, how how close to power is Kim Yo-jong? Is she the heir apparent? Is she waiting there to kick over her chairman brother? Or is she a symbolic figure, part of the Pektu line? What's your sense of her proximity to power, Sujin? Yes, um, you know, she is definitely the Pektu blood, um, the Pektu Hyeltung, Pektu lineage. Mm. And um, I sort of like get the sense that after like uh, watching um, like Kim Jong-un's reign uh, for the past like 11 years, um, you get the sense that like uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un depends really um, on uh, Kim Yo-jong really a lot. Mm. Like, uh, so um, I, well, Kim Yo-jong is absolutely the number one, like a confidant, like uh, to Chairman Kim Jong-un. That's like out of doubt, um, out of question. But um, actually, well, I do not, quite think that Kim Yo-jong is the heir apparent because, you know, like, uh, well, Kim Jong-un might have, like, uh, well, his sons, like, uh, and, and um, like, uh, I think, like, there are princes and, you know, the the princess, like, uh, has no place um, in the current, like, uh, you know, well, uh, state of North Korea that, like, to me, that is still an, something not imaginable. But still, like, and, and I think what's really interesting is that Kim Yo-jong is very aware of that. And she actually, I think she re actually accepts, like, the reality. And she is still, like, uh, doing her part as the, like, a number one confidant. Like, she's the blood hmm. uh, that uh, Kim Jong-un can trust. And Kim Jong-un and Kim Yo-jong, they have stories, like, uh, and because, like, they were really close to each other from very, like, from they were, like, very little, from their, when they were babies. Mm. Because they were born um, from mother that, like, uh, Kim Jong-il, like, the father, was really treasured. Uh, Kim Jong-il really treasured their mother, but still, like, you know, Kim Il-sung did not acknowledge um, their mother. Mm -hmm. So they actually had this, like, childhood, like, uh, that was not very happy because they were not allowed to like uh, see their like father or grandfather and because you know chairman kim jong un doesn't have a photograph like uh, taken together with kim il sung or kim jong il mm -hmm. so that sort of like means that he yeah, like kim and kim jong un and kim yo jong they were like uh, pretty close like because they they had like each other and um well yeah they have their distant memories so that is why like kim jong un like uh, can like oh he might feel that okay I have like my sister and she's the one and only person that is related to me by blood mm -hmm. and she's the one that I can turn to. And I so, think you you, yeah. you make a great point. And if you're growing up in a a regime or a country or a state like that, especially if you're that close to power, you would have fewer and fewer friends, and so those blood relations become really important. I think we can say that Kim Yo Jung 
is not only surviving, she seems to be succeeding in the North Korean apparatus. She's right there at the top. It's, there are great photos in your book, by the way, Sujin, and you, you did make that really interesting point that because Chairman Kim Jong-un doesn't have any photos with his father or his grandfather, that that sort of puts up questions about his legitimacy or his rule, and maybe that's why he's trying to ape his grandfather's appearance because you can look at old photos of Kim Il-sung and it yes. really looks like Chairman Kim Jong-un. I know. And so maybe that's part of that. Yeah, actually that was one of the stories that I, I have written like uh, like five years ago, I guess. I mean, when Kim Jong-un like uh, really rose to power, like uh, really, and um, I think I do agree with you, David, because, you know, like uh, Kim Jong-un sort of like, uh, well, I mean, he actually mimics everything that his like a grandfather did like from the way he dresses from the way he walks mm. and from the way he speaks so maybe and actually there's no question that you know Kim Il-sung is still like a respected like as the son yeah. in North Korea I mean still like the birthday of Kim Il-sung is the biggest holiday in North Korea and they call it like a Taeyangjeol yeah. which means that the day of the sun and that is why I actually you know, gave the like some title of the book as Daughters of the Sun. So like, and actually like, Kim Jong-un has this like a questions about his own legitimacy. So that is why he actually wants to be seen um, like um, his grandfather, the son. Is one of the facts that once you hear, you never forget is that uh, Kim Il-sung was born the day the Titanic sank. That's the that's the day of the sun. 1912. I, um, let's, let's talk about another woman, if we can, because this is this is the focus of your book. And let's talk about Ri Sol-ju, uh, yeah. Chairman Kim Jong-un's wife, the first lady of Pyongyang. Um, you've written a lot about her. Um, you've also said that, you know, in many of her faces, she keeps a very stoic, a very, you know, Lady mm. Gaga-esque poker face, and that might be some of the aesthetics. Who is Ri Sol-ju? Is she a first lady? Do we understand it differently? What's her position? Actually, she is a really interesting first lady. I think that um, there's no question that she's uh, really um, the first lady, and um, she, she's really treasured by um, Chairman Kim Jong-un. And she is the first ever uh, first lady um, of North Korea, I have to say, in the sense that they got the past former, um, the past like first ladies of North Korea. Mm. Do we even recall their names? Like, do we even have the photos of them standing well, hand in hand with their husbands? Mm. No. And Isartu is the first of its kind, of her kind, um, like to be presented um, just the way she is right now um, with um, Kim Jong-un. And I think Kim Jong-un in that sense is really smart because it uh, it is not possible for Isarjo to be in public without Kim Jong-un's approval mm -hmm. in uh, the setting of North Korea, that is. So I think like a Kim Jong-un sort of like a acts like the modern day, like, you know, an average, like, you know, um, like country's leader who treasures like, of his spouse and like of the who has this like you know normal normal like first lady mm -hmm. and um i think that it's just like you know chairman kim's like uh well i don't know like uh well sort of like an image that he wants to build and i think isarju plays a really key role in that sort of like uh, you know setting agenda 
I, I completely agree with you there, because when we think of Kim Jong-il, we think of many wives. We've already covered some of that, like yes. courtesans type uh, thing. Yes. But for that modern image, to be a modern world leader, you have a first lady or a first husband. And mm -hmm. so that's what mm -hmm. he seems to be doing. Um, you write about Yi Sol-ju telling Chairman Kim Jong-un, calling him Nampyeon, which husband oh, yes. rather than leader and, and criticize, giving him tansori for all the smoking and things like that. Does that continue to humanize them to help us bring closer or show different sides of these otherwise world leaders? Yes, I, I really love the word they used, um, humanize. That's the key thing that Kim Jong Un wants to, like you know, like show to the world that we are human, and we do the things that you do, you guys do. Mm. And actually, Yi Seo Ju is really making the key role in that part. And um, I think they, that Nanpyeon statement like came, um, I think during the um the inter-Korean summit talk um with um president with then President Moon Jae In, mm. and. Um, it was the first image ever that we saw, like, and the, the, the leaders of both Koreas with their first ladies together. Mm -hmm. And we had this like video image, and we had we saw like in that image, Isaju was like uh, telling um, all the president Moon Jae-in that, um, oh, my husband, my Chenampion, is like, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, is this real? I mean, like, uh, like, like. I mean, as you know, like, a chairman Kim Jong Un is the son of the sun, right? Mm. And um, he is like, he he is kind of a you know God. And um, the and God was humanized, being a nampian, being a husband to a human being. So that was kind of a moment that um, sort of like a sort of like a, it, it was really strong. He was a strong memory to like everybody. He was humanized as a man trying to control his bad habits by his wife. And I, I perhaps yeah, empath I, I empathized with that very much. And I wonder, did she say Jenampian or Uri Nampian? Because it's still kind of weird to me when in Korea sometimes people say, oh, Uri Nampian Eun. And it's like, our husband is weird in English, right? But yeah. It is really weird. And it's not Uri Nampian, it's like Uri Waipu or like Uri Imo or like. Yeah, you don't like have a an our husband. Yeah, I mean, Koreans are the we people. So. They are, they are dynamic Korean. Do you want to say anything about Isolju's fashion or style? Because your book does talk about her, her handbags. And I think more than Kim Yo-jung, she does, she does have a bit of swag and a bit of flex. Do you have any comments on that? Because you do write about it. Yes, because, you know, I uh, I wrote in my book about like Isolju's handbag, um, the luxury bag um mm -hmm. and um that was because like whenever i get to write about isaju like uh what be uh i get a lot of like a page views mm -hmm. whenever i write about her fashion not about her of sort of like uh, the meaning the implications behind her like uh, actions like i think the readers are more interested in like uh, what kind, what brand she wears or like about brand she carries well no judgment, but still, I mean, like uh, Isaju, there's well, no question that you know Isaju is a really fashionable leader, mm. and she and she is really, um, I mean, she's a beautiful lady, and um, she knows like how to present herself, and um, I think you know like, and it's not just um, well Isaju, I have to say, uh, may I like uh, 
if I may, I would like to like speak about um, well, Chesonyi at the same time in that like note of mention mm-hmm. because well, Chesonyi happens to be the first ever foreign minister like a, a woman, a female foreign minister of North Korea, mm-hmm. and um, actually among these South Korean journalists and also the diplomats and the government officials like who actually got to see her. Like we always like get mesmerized by her fashion. She knows how how to dress, and she she is not as flamboyant as like a Lisa Drew, mm-hmm. but she is always like a she always is in black or like navy color, toned down colors. But still, mm-hmm. she knows fashion, and the like the skirts and the, the bags. Then there's always something special about that about about her. So I think like I mean. I actually wanted my publishers were against this idea, but um, I wanted to have a like a separate chapter dedicated to the fashion. Mm. But actually, for well, like to me, like their fashion is a really an item of interest. Personally, maybe, maybe that will be your next book. That sounds like it. Uh, well, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know how hard one is, and. Um, y- you're right that those things do get attention. I've, I've read pages and pages about what brand of cigarettes Kim Jong-un smokes and, and things like yes. that. So it, it is an attention thing. Um, I wonder, have you seen any of the, this is a, a bit off topic from some of the questions we prepared, but have you seen any of the YouTube vlogs and things coming out of North Korea at the moment? Because they heavily feature women, sometimes very young girls, sometimes, you know, women in their 20s or 30s going shopping and you get insights into fashion and things there. Um, a lot of foreign websites, YouTube and, and that they take them down, actually, which if you want to understand North Korea is a bit frustrating. Do you have any comment on these these kind of vlogs in this kind of attempt at soft power that North Korea is attempting? Well, actually, I I have to say that you know, I will, I have not like uh, really like watched those like YouTube vlogs like uh, often, mm. but um, I think like any approach to get to know North Korea is necessary. I think, you know, like, uh, of course, we are only human. So we have like, uh, and we are not 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 all of them are journalists so like not all of those like vlogs or youtubes may fact may, may, may be facts they may be you know distorted or even prejudiced but still like any approach to understand north korea as it is is you know welcome to me but like i mean but there are some like youtubes or like vlogs that actually like sort of like a makes a voyeurism ish kind of approach and that is not good that is not that does not help there's, there's a young girl in pyongyang at the moment speaking and she sounds more british than me and she she talks <laughs> about harry potter and things it's 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 fascinating but i agree with you uh, that we need to humanize it and perhaps in the future um we'll do another conversation and we'll get into more of chesney and hyun song wall and and there's of lots course. more um just before you go if i could ask you one uh, last question sujin which is this um because uh, last night, one of my students, Jin Sol, uh, asked me about advice getting into journalism and things like that, and how should she do it. So my question is, from your experience and wisdom, Sujin, do you have any advice for young people today? It can be about journalism or just life in general. Um, what advice can you give them to help perhaps have a life that they can be proud of, to be able to smile like you're smiling now in this conversation? Uh, what would you say to those people, Sujin? Well, 
Well, um, I don't know. I like if I were them, well, it, life would be very hard, of course. I mean, but I would like tell them not to lose hope. And you know, I think that happiness is not something given to you, but happiness is something that you acquire, like by your own definition. You have your own sort of sense of happiness, and you know it is something that you have created, and you know you never let it go, and just like, just do not give up. I don't know. Maybe I should like say this to my very self. <laughs> right. Let me ask you one last one. Then, what makes you happy, Sujin? What makes you happy? Well, the conversations that I am having with you, um, you know, like, like you know, the conversations with my friends, and um, you know, the when. Like, okay, what makes me happy is that like I share the same emotions um, with other people. Mm. Yeah. The, the compassion. Yeah, that sort of like uh, makes me happy. Yeah. Then it makes you feel part of something bigger, I think, rather than just yeah. alone and like, completely. That, that, that is the meaning of our life, you know? Like, I mean, life is ephemeral. Like, we all die, but still, like, we want to live a mark of some sort, like on this planet, right? And to make it a better place. Completely agree. This was short, but thank you for leaving a mark, Sujin, and I hope to speak to you again soon. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say that. Yeah, thank you.